Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorp here, and this week's episode is going to be really good. We're going to talk about storytelling. I'm going to tell you more of my personal journey with disordered eating to help show the ways that the role of shame plays a role in keeping us incredibly stuck. And I'm going to talk about how all the evidence-based information and tools and strategies in the world truly didn't make a difference when I was not addressing my underlying shame. I am going to talk about the things that truly made the biggest difference for me and why the self-help versions that I had amazing access to just were not enough. So let's dive in. I can't wait to get into this topic with you. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. You might be wondering what is this blog and podcast all about? So we talk about in this podcast, we relate everything back to motivation, but not the hustle and grind diet mentality kind. Truly sustainable motivation, that keeps you feeling energetic and inspired and engaged in your life for the long haul. We talk about why the idea of I'm just not motivated or I need more willpower is a myth and why the type of motivation you have is so incredibly important to fully understand. If you're ready to dive in and learn more about motivation and how you can use this knowledge to respect your body in an effective way, then you are in the right place. So check out the foundational episodes of the Motivation Made Easy podcast by going to the link in the show notes. You can find the introduction there, or you can also go to drhondorp.com forward slash one, two, three, and four to get the foundational first four episodes. And just as a reminder before we dive in, this podcast and blog are for educational and informational purposes only and are not to be used as a substitute for any form of professional advice. And this does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to talk to you guys about a sentence I wrote in my journal many, many years ago that I uncovered and kind of hit me to my core. 
This sentence was, I'm terrified I'm wasting my life. I wrote this in the middle of my diet binge cycle. And frankly, I kind of was. I was disconnected, distracted, self-conscious about my body almost 100% of the time, and generally just feeling like a failure and feeling really isolated and that no one could understand. I'm here to tell you it's never too late to truly gain control of your eating, learn to respect your body, and live a life that's truly consistent with your values, but you need to take the first step. One of the very first steps in developing autonomous motivation and body respect is to clarify what matters to you. Not your mom, not your sister, not your best friend, you. Reflecting on this is powerful. The more you connect to your values, the more you can show up in your life, eat and live in a way that's empowering and sustainable for you. So grab my free guide to get started with this today at drhondorp.com forward slash goals. I promise you it's never too late to stop dieting and start living. All right, so let's dive into this topic today. This topic has been kind of percolating in my mind for a while now. So I want to talk to you about the power of story and storytelling. And to do that, I want to tell you a story. So I am a huge podcast fan. I always... I have been for years, and I am a multitasker at heart, even though I know this is not great, but for someone like me, I'm frugal and minimalistic at my core. Uh, You wouldn't know this, actually, if you were walking into my house, but it's true, and you're a podcast listener as well, so you might relate to this, but the idea of free information, inspiration that I can listen to while I walk or commute or clean is very exciting. So I started listening to podcasts in 2008 or so when I was living in Philadelphia and going to grad school at Drexel University, go Dragons. I was walking, I was big into walking for transportation, so obviously this saves money. I also get motion sick, so it's a win-win. I would walk to and from campus every day. It's about uh, a mile and a half, I think, one way. And I would download podcasts from iTunes to my desktop computer, plug in my little iPod, and transfer the episodes over. It was not fast. Um, I didn't have a smartphone for several more years. And I remember listening to two main podcasts that I can recall at that time. There was the Nutrition Diva's Quick and Dirty Tips, which that um, actually started in 2008 and is still going strong, as well as a podcast called Inside Out Weight Loss by Renee Stevens. So I want to talk to you about the power of this one woman's story in my life. I had access to all the tools, all of the things, all of the resources related to evidence-based approaches for eating disorders and weight management. Literally, this is all my lab did. We did acceptance-based adaptations for weight management and eating disorders. We were really at the forefront of studying what arguably were some of the most innovative strategies out there. And yet, what moved the needle most for me and my own struggle at that time? It was listening to Renee Stevens sharing her story about eating food out of the trash and then eventually going on to achieve peace and freedom in her relationship with food. I thought she was so brave. I thought I could never share anything like that, but I was so grateful that she did because it made me feel less alone and less like a total hypocrite, which is essentially how I felt my for a very long time so 
I think this is the moment too where I really started to question things like, hmm, wait a minute, we're really quite bad as a field at helping people lose weight and keep it off. We've got to be doing something wrong. And Renee's approach at that time was pretty revolutionary to me. So she would hear, she would say things like, there's a positive intention behind every eating behavior, meaning you're get, trying to get something good for yourself, right? Like freedom from pain, boredom, comfort if you're emotional eating. She would encourage listeners to ask themselves how eating will make you feel over time. So looking at a certain choice and thinking about how it's going to make you feel over time. This one really struck stuck with me. And I, and I really, looking back, think it's related to giving yourself choice and autonomy, not judging, though she didn't use those terms. She instilled the possibility in me that it was possible to feel relaxed and at peace with food and my body. And she really focused on how you want to feel in your body. And so although she did talk about weight loss, it was very internally focused as well. So I remember thinking at that time that, you know, I was thinking about the way she talked about things and how it worked for her. And I was like, wow, that'd be really great if these things worked. And, and for me, some of these strategies definitely were very helpful. I was still in diet mentality in many ways for a couple more years after that. I found that I was saying to myself these things um, before making a choice, like how will eating this make me feel over time, did really help me to make a conscious choice. And occasionally I would find, oh, wow, this had helped me kind of pass up the donuts left in the research lab room, not due to concern about calories. So this part was new, but instead to due to knowing I'd really feel sluggish or unproductive or unfocused with my work over the next few hours. So it gave me this little feeling of empowerment. Like maybe I wasn't so flawed and a total hypocrite who was failing. Maybe there's something wrong about how we're doing this. So started to plant that seed of doubt. And although this was a few years before I read Intuitive Eating, and as I've talked about before, this is what truly helped me break free of dieting and diet mentality. But early on, this one woman's courage to put her story online and a podcast gave me hope, gave me something to think about and relieve some of the shame I felt in my isolated struggle. So this wasn't the end though. So let's talk about what was still holding me back. Again, I didn't realize this at the time, but I'm, I want you guys to learn from my mistakes and have it not take 13 years to break free of some of this stuff, because I truly don't think it needs to take that long. It You just need the right support and the right information. But a big piece of that is realizing and reducing the shame about it, as we'll talk about. So at this point in my journey, looking back, there was two things still holding me back. Number one, I was still incredibly focused on weight loss as the end-all be-all goal. So in hindsight, the main things about Inside Out Weight Loss podcasts that were unhelpful for me was the name of the podcast, which reinforced this message that weight loss is the most important thing. And number two, the fact that uh, the host would often use the term like naturally slender as something you would want to aim for. And for me, again, although I didn't realize it at the time, this was very much perpetuating the idea that thin and slender is the way to be versus just taking this great care of yourself approach, trusting your body to find the weight that's best for you. Renee, the the host, said all those things too, but the weight loss message drowned out all of the body respect messages for me 
And I see this happen for so many others. So we can talk about self-care and listening to our body and mindful eating and all of that. But if it's still ultimately about weight loss too much, too much of a focus, if it's still that external motivation, that external pressure, it's not that you don't look at weight loss ever or that maybe that's not still a goal for you. But when it's the driving decision behind everything, and when you're incredibly fixated on this idea of thinness is the end-all be-all goal, then that very much undermines the process. It undermines getting that freedom and autonomous feeling around eating. So that's really important. And spoiler alert, you know, going on to read intuitive eating was a big piece of making that that first thing that was still holding me back, you know, obsolete, basically. And number two, this is really important. So pay attention. I was still not sharing my story and the shame was still holding me back from true freedom. So I recall sharing with a few close friends one night about my eating disorder during a pretty dark time in grad school. I felt a lot of shame in doing so. And these friends responded empathically, but it wasn't enough to really relieve it. So largely, I mean, they, they couldn't really fully relate and I also didn't really seek therapy with the exception of some sporadic counseling center visits. So it never really got to the root of the tree. The shame, just like diet mentality, was holding me back under the surface in a way that I was not aware of. So it was operating at the root. I was focused on the symptom, which is the weight loss struggle, the eating struggle. And the two main things that I was missing were becoming less fixated on weight loss and the immense shame that I felt that something was wrong with me, that I couldn't control myself, that something was broken about me or my brain. And, you know, I think it's important to say too that I actually had and have what I would consider a very strong support network at that time and now. Lots of people that I loved and who loved me And yet very few of them really knew the depths of this. It wasn't a secret in that, you know, some people definitely knew, but they didn't know how much I was struggling at a given time. And especially when I would backslide. So I kind of went on Weight Watchers and felt better and I'd lost some weight. And I actually felt really good for a couple of years. I feel like I was sort of intuitive eating and probably about a year. And then I backslid and that kind of propelled me more into the shame. So not everyone knew that I was struggling again. So this is not likely a surprise to you that I'm a big proponent of therapy, but I've literally never had someone that I worked with say, wow, I really regret going to therapy. I only hear the opposite. Gosh, I wish I'd done this sooner. And I can certainly relate to that, but it is never too late. I have done therapy with people in their 80s and 90s. It is still effective. It is never too late. So with that said, enter intuitive eating, right? Um, I'm really grateful that I found the intuitive eating book a few years ago. And this, with some additional time and work, I finally ditched the diet mentality for good. If you haven't read Intuitive Eating, if you love my podcast and you want to support that, the link in the show notes takes you to my bookshop link, which supports independent local bookstores near you and my business. So highly recommend it. Um, 
and it's usually similar to the pricing of Amazon. So check that out in the show notes. But I'm really, really grateful that I was able to find intuitive eating before having kids. If you do have kids and you can relate to this at all, I want to speak directly to you just for a moment. It's never too late to become more present with your kids. I cannot imagine the pain of struggling with this while actively having children. There's enough mom guilt as it is. But again, you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. And you probably do need some additional support as much as you might hate to hear that. So we were never supposed to do these things alone. We were never supposed to work through shame alone. And these systems are incredibly effective. But you and your kids deserve to know and express the full authentic you. You deserve to live a life that truly lights you up and allows you to engage with the world from a place of worthiness. So that's my message to you about that. So let's hone in on the things that made the difference for me. The reason I decided to share my story, I first did this back in 2019 in a blog post, is that I really was reflecting on the fact that the things that truly moved the needle for me were not the things we were teaching in standard evidence-based treatments for eating or weight concerns. The standard approaches are still very weight loss focused. They don't support autonomy and choice. They're focused on external rules and guidelines and these ideas that someone knows the best eating plan for you, not you. They're based in a lot of shoulds and they're also heavily based in the notion that smaller bodies, thinner bodies are better and healthier. So as I reflect back on my journey and what was most helpful, it boils down to these four things. Number one, hearing stories of other people who had my struggle and achieved what I wanted. Hearing that Renee Stevens felt completely out of control and hopeless with food. Hearing that she was really a high achieving executive at her job and she still struggled. And hearing she came out on the other side, a happy, vibrant, energetic soul who had peace with food and the courage to share her story openly. This was a major thing that helped me know what was possible. And I want you to hear this and know this too. You are not alone. There is nothing wrong with you and you are not broken, even when it feels like it. And I get it. I felt that for way too long and I wish I would have gotten these messages sooner. So number two of the things that made the difference was learning that it really wasn't about food basically at all. So It really felt like it was. Brene Brown's work, obviously I talk about her all the time, has immensely helped so many because she shares her own stuff so vulnerably, but also reminds us that although diagnoses and labels can be useful, underneath all the labels and symptoms, we're essentially all the gosh darn same. So we all have shame. We're all afraid of vulnerability and we all fear rejection. And we all do things to avoid discomfort in ways that don't ultimately serve us. So if we do this too much, we're going to miss out on the most beautiful, messy, scary things in life that make us feel the most alive. Connection, innovation, courage. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that for years I was convinced I just liked food a whole lot more than the average person. I would get annoyed with my friends who would joke like, I can eat so much and then have like, 
three hot dogs at a barbecue and I'd be like, uh, yeah, I can eat way more than that. I felt a lot of shame about how, you know, binge eating and how much I could eat, but also I felt this shame about how focused and fixated on food. And I really didn't realize that my brain was just restricted. And I mean, I still like food. I think eating is fun and I have associated with positive memories, but when you take a different approach, your brain recalibrates and food just becomes food. I don't live for it. I sometimes actually do view it as just fuel, like something to energize me and get through my day. Like I don't really care about it. Sometimes I'm really excited about certain meals. I'm not really a foodie at heart though. That's just not me. But I really thought I was just weirdly obsessed with food and something was wrong with me. So it's not really about food. It's about the stuff underneath it, the shame, the self-doubt, but all that's just part of being a human. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with you. So the third thing that made the difference, the first two, again, hearing stories of others who had my struggle, learning it wasn't really about food. Number three was asking for help in the right places. So for me, eventually this meant going to therapy and actually working through some of my stuff underlying the eating stuff. So my therapist uh, did not have a specialty in eating disorders. And frankly, I knew more about evidence-based treatments than eating disorders than she did, but that didn't really matter. Um, Sometimes that can matter if you're really restrictive. I wasn't, I never was really restrictive in my, it was just kind of moderate dieting and binge eating. Um, But she was there consistently listening, helping me to better understand myself and helping me to discover the changes I needed to make with how I thought about myself and how I moved forward in my life. Now, when I need support or help, I do not hesitate to reach out to family, friends, or a therapist or another health professional. And finally, number four, and perhaps the most pivotal that's most specific to the eating piece is learning about intuitive eating and or mindful eating, learning about the impact of diet culture, and learning to unhook from the obsession with weight loss and being in a smaller body for happiness, for all the things that we're told we need to be in a smaller body to get. This was pivotal and was the final difference that made the difference. So as I mentioned, Renee's uh, Renee's story was immensely helpful to me, but I was still focused on weight loss and really just convinced that somehow calorie counting or points counting and getting to the weight I felt happiest at in the past was the key to happiness. And for me and for most, it is just not the case. Intuitive Eating, the book, finally gave me permission to give this up for good. And I've never felt physically or emotionally better in essentially every way. And it doesn't feel particularly effortful. There's other things I work very hard on. And I work hard, I guess, to, you know, home-cooked meals are not a natural skill for me. But And more importantly, I've never felt more connected to the people in my life, more present or better handled, able to handle the actual difficult emotions underlying all the diet cycle BS. So let's talk about some reasons you might want to share your story and why it's so important. So first of all, you do not need to share your story on a podcast or blog, although of course you could, but... Remember that sharing in spaces where you will receive empathy is the antidote to shame. If 
like me, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this, shame hangs out under the surface for years sometimes and holds you back from true transformation, growth, behavior change, and this really just might be the difference that makes the difference for real this time. This might mean starting with sharing with family or friends like I did, but you know, that wasn't enough for me. So you might need to go further and get additional professional support to share your story and to reframe it. The four reasons that you should consider doing this is that sharing your story is powerful for you. So I personally didn't share publicly until I'd worked through it pretty fully in my personal life, but sharing my story in therapy, journaling, doing so with family and friends, and more broadly, I'm really quite willing to admit shame. Obviously, I do it all the time on this podcast, but it gets way easier with practice. And it's actually increasingly powerful and healing in ways that I didn't even really expect. It's been a way where I consistently can show up for myself and engage in the world from a place of authenticity and worthiness. And it's really just a reminder for yourself and for all of us that there's nothing wrong with you, even though sometimes it feels like there is. Number two is it's powerful for others. So sometimes we need to go first and be brave. I definitely decided to share my story in this setting because I realized that stories very often make the most difference for all of us or many of us. Again, I had all the evidence-based strategies at my fingertips. I was learning and reading about CBT and ACT, and I was trying to apply them to my life in this very self-help way. And while I do think this was helpful to a small extent, until I really wrapped my head around my actual shame triggers and the stuff I was hiding from the world, that's when I fully started to heal. Number three reason to share your story is that stories are greater than strategies. As much as my scientific brain hates to say it, I still very much believe in the power of evidence-based strategies, but stories often overpower the very most effective strategies. Again and again, we see this play out in the research. The number one predictor of effectiveness in therapy is the client-therapy relationship. It's not the therapist expertise or the amount of evidence-based strategies. It's having a place to share your story, feel accepted and seen. That's what holds the true power. And I will say too, that if we don't share, we miss this opportunity for connection and we miss an opportunity to see which relationships are still actually serving us. So I don't recommend sharing to test a relationship, but Sometimes it's good information to have. If you're consistently around someone where you feel self-conscious or bad about yourself, and when you're starting to really open up, that's, that's data, that's information. And so sometimes sharing your truth and realizing that that person really, you know, you always feel bad about yourself around that person. It's not always clear cut. There's nuances to this, but it can give you data that's important for you to consider moving forward and who you spend your time with. And finally, number four reason to share your story is it's a reflection and reframing opportunity. So as you share your story, as you write it out, 
you have the opportunity to reflect on it and reframe it. So this is something we do inside the Body Respect program, my online, my online program, but it's also something I want to continue to learn about because I see the power of this within therapy and outside of it. So reframing your history, where you are today, how that's impacted your body, your mind, and made you who you are today just might be the difference that makes a difference for you. And next week's episode is an amazing interview with Dr. Adia Gooden about unconditional self-worth. We talk about storytelling in that episode, so make sure you tune into that. I think you're going to absolutely love it. Okay, so let's say maybe I've convinced you that sharing your story in some way, shape, or form might be valuable. I want to talk about some practical ways of how you might decide to do so. So there's options here. Here's just a few ideas to get the wheels turning. There's no one-size-fits-all, as with everything. But you could consider journaling, so writing it out where only you will see. Maybe this might be a starting place. Um, If you're really stuck in your shame cycle, though, this probably won't be enough. I did journaling for a while. That's where I got the quote, I'm terrified that I'm wasting my life. So it wasn't journaling in itself can help you to clarify, but you probably have to continue beyond that. Uh, although there might be exceptions to that. So other ideas would be talking to a trusted friend, coworker, family member, or loved one, and just sharing. You don't have to share the whole thing, but you can share parts of your story and see how that feels. Other ideas would be doing some form of creative work, like painting, drawing, writing, writing poetry, even filmmaking. Creative expression is an excellent way to work through your emotion when you when it's done well. And so there's even professionals like geared towards this, like art therapy and, and just that know way more about it than I do, but it can be a way to express your story in a different capacity. Of course, talking to a health professional, a counselor or therapist of some sort would be an excellent option. And you could consider sharing your story on a blog or a podcast Clearly, I've had a lot of experience with this recently, and as I just mentioned, the next week's episode, Dr. Gooden, who's also a psychologist who shared her story very widely in a TED Talk, we're going to talk about the influence of that, and so you probably don't want to do that until you've worked through a lot of your stuff and you have a clear purpose of sharing, but it's had some unintended or unexpected positive benefits for me personally, so just something to keep in mind. Writing a book is also an option, and there's really other ways too. So I'd love to hear from you guys how you can share and and what you might be doing in this area. So as we wrap up here, just be wary of the comparative suffering. So this is something I talked about last week on the podcast in episode 26, but you know, it's really common to worry about my story is not as bad or not as important. Your story is important. It has unique value for you and for others. So, you know, is there vulnerability there? Absolutely. But remember this quote from Brene Brown, vulnerability is weakness in me and courage in you. So often we think of vulnerable things as weakness in us and courage in others. So remember, someone else might think that very same thing. So it's a risk. But one that I believe is very much worth it, but only you can decide. So 
And before we finish up here, remember your why is hidden in your story. So if you're not sure where to start with your story, just take that first step. Start working on clarifying your values, figuring out how you want to show up in your life. Grab my free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash goals, and it'll take you through that first step. It's honestly incredibly pivotal. Make sure that at some point you do this because this is the strategy that people in my program love the most. It's the strategy that I find most helpful for developing autonomous motivation. So don't miss out drhondorp.com forward slash goals. So that's all I have for you today. Thanks and have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.